You are listening to Tell It From Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, where we preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. The following sermon is by Dr. Ed Stetzer, author, missiologist, and interim teaching pastor at Calvary. For upcoming events and services, visit our website at cbcnyc.org. And now, here is today's message. Hey, Ed Stetzer here. Good to be again with you here going through Philippians together. What a great opportunity for us to look to uh, God's Word together. And we'll do that as we look through this passage. If you have a Bible, you can take it out with me. It's Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to be uh, up into verse 7 through 11. We're talking about the journey to maturity here. Uh, Philippians is part three of our series, and uh, we planned out six. So we'll go through here, kind of walking through, probably get into chapter two in those, in those weeks, but we're still in chapter one at this point. So, so again, I'm glad to be with you. My name is Ed Stetzer. I serve at the uh, Wheaton College Billy Graham Center and have the privilege of serving in a supply preaching here for Calvary Baptist. So uh, we're glad you're here. If you're a guest, we want to welcome you as well. Our hope at Calvary Baptist is you might be encouraged by the Word of God if you're a follower of Christ, or if you're not yet a follower of Christ, you might listen with an open heart and see the work of the Holy Spirit in your life as well. For our church family, encourage you to uh, like and share this on whatever platform you're watching. More people can learn about what's going on at Calvary Baptist as well. We even participate in uh, our worship. What a great service of worship we've had already. So that being said, Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse three, excuse me, verse 7, says this, It is right for me to feel this way about you, because I hold you in my heart, and you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, So you may approve what is excellent and what is pure. So be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So this is uh, Philippians 1, verses 7 through 11. We're going to look through that passage as we kind of walk through today's message. Let me just tell you the full outline. Some people find that helpful. This is actually the full outline that I'll be looking at. Four key things, right? Appropriate confidence what kind of confidence to have, why it's appropriate, a pathway to growth. We're going to take a little bit of a deep dive there, right? So you actually see this is under the uh, pathway to growth, loving, discerning, judicious, and blameless. But we're going to then go to fruitful living and then for God's glory, for God's glory. So we'll walk through these four things. We'll just start with number one, appropriate confidence, uh, appropriate confidence. I have a theme throughout the message today. You'll sometimes hear when I teach and preach that there is kind of a key phrase I want us to take home. Here's the key phrase. Um, and we'll actually talk about this too uh, after service. If you want to uh, join us, we'll, we have a Zoom call. Information is provided on the webpage and we can talk about this. But this is kind of a key phrase for me. When we, when we live loving, growing, and fruitful lives, God gets the glory. Kind of a theme of the passage. When we live growing, loving, growing, and fruitful lives, God gets the glory. So uh, this passage, and it's a longer one than some of the others, is about maturity. And I, I don't know that I was particularly uh, very responsive growing up. I graduated high school with a uh, D average. I barely got out of high school. Don't tell my kids. I, I try to encourage them to do better. I didn't really grow up until later. Uh, I grew up, as I've said before, on Long Island. I was born in a hospital in Manhasset, taken home to a home in Floral Park, an apartment in Floral Park, and then moved out to Levittown on Long Island. 
And um, I don't know that I particularly valued growing up much. Maturity wasn't a goal in my life. I was just a young kid who got in a lot of trouble. Um, and so later on, I became a follower of Christ and I started dating uh, a young lady named Donna when we were 15 or 16, depending on who counts. I say 15, she says 16. So it appears I thought we were dating for a few months when she thought we were friends, but it worked out okay. And then the maturity kind of began there. We began to grow in the Lord together, uh, married, but, uh, and grew up together, right? And so we go from immaturity to maturity. And I was struck by how much any of my growing all took place through the grace of God. So what we're going to look at today is verses 7 through 11. But to get to 7-11, <laughs> that's not a phrase I thought about until just then, because 7-11 you could still get to. To get to 7-11, you got to remember 6. you got to remember verse 6, right? Because this is in a context, right? So verse 6 we talked about last week, uh, such a key verse, a good memory verse if you're so inclined. It says this, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the day, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I have it memorized in a different translation, so you'll hear me say carry it on to. But it says in the ESV that we use, uh, it is he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Okay, so, so then with verse 6 in our mind, let's look at verse 7. It says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all. Again, proving that a couple of you being Southerners, you can say you all. Uh, it is right for me to feel this way about you guys, as my parents would say, um, because I hold you in my heart for you're all partakers with me in grace. Remember, it's not, I don't feel this way because we're just friends, but you're partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So this is key phrases, right? So we don't want to take verses out of context, but we want to build on those verses. Remember that chapter, verse 6 and verse 7, people didn't think of them in verse 6 and verse 7 when they were reading them in the early church. But his confidence is due to the prior verses, uh, he has confidence. Now, there are some places where our confidence might not be so sure, right? Maybe, you know, I'm not confident that I can accomplish every task that I set out to. Maybe you're not confident in some reason or some not reason, or maybe, you're, you know, maybe your finances have been in a tough time. You're not confident about what that holds for the future, right? So what is the appropriate confidence that he has? Well, Paul's like a spiritual father, and he's praying for his children in the Lord. And as he's praying for his children in the Lord, he's specifically kind of praying for them to, um, to, to, to grow as he has confidence that they will because they are partakers in grace. So verses 7 and 8 also pick up the theme of gratitude from verse 3. So Paul can't stop feeling gratitude for the Philippians. And he declares his attitude is right. So he has this, again, this this um, this appropriate confidence. He has this confidence because of his confidence in God working in them through grace. Now we see that in verse, in verse eight as well. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ, right? So again, his, his confidence is built on an appropriate confidence. Now you know that there's, there's inappropriate confidence as well. Um, there is sometimes worldly confidence. We can all think of uh, the Titanic as an example, right? This great ship that was, was built, the unsinkable, and sailed her maiden voyage with such certainty that, um, that, that, that she, she couldn't be sunk, that there was no, the, the White Star Line was sure that, that they were so sure it couldn't be sunk, they didn't put enough lifeboats on it, for example. So because of their confidence, their false, their uncertain confidence, and and yet we see, even it's interesting too, because having just finished serving at Moody Church, 
for the last almost four years, uh, there was actually a, a speaker coming over, a guest speaker coming over. Um, some reports say he was to be the pastor of Moody Church, uh, though it appears when you look at the records, probably coming as a speaker for a series. Uh, but he dies on that boat. And as he dies on that boat, his, uh, he shares the gospel with people. And, 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 and it's interesting. There's a whole story about being Harper's last convert. We don't have time to unpack it all. But his confidence was in Christ on a, don't miss this, his confidence was in Christ. So he shared the gospel as he went down. His confidence was in Christ while he was on a world of hundreds and thousands of people that their confidence was in earthly things that could not stand could not stay, could not stay afloat. Paul's gratitude and confidence grew, it says, out of his faith in God. That's verse six. I'm confident of this, that you began a good work in you. And then his relationship with the people at Philippi is also part of his confidence, right? So, and I love this verse here. Uh, You can see verse eight on the screen. It says, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. That word affection is similar uh, in its use to Jesus using term where he, he wept over Jerusalem. He was moved with compassion for them because he was sheep without a shepherd. And I love that. Paul remembers these people. He knows these people. Remember our motley team, right? The rich businesswoman named Lydia, the unnamed slave girl, uh, and the suicidal jailer. But he longed for them. He loved them. And so it makes sense that Paul would move from gratitude to intercession, even in this prayer, right? It says, it is right for me to feel this way about you. I hold you in my heart, both in my imprisonment and in my defense of the gospel. For God is my witness. I yearn for you. So Paul anticipates their spiritual growth like a father anticipates that. I'm the father of three daughters, which is uh, both a statement of my situation and a desperate request for prayer. Um, and they're awesome. I love my girls, though. Three girls have so so many words. Um, they're, they're 15, 18, and 22, just turned 22. And so, uh, you know, lockdown and all that has been fascinating, fascinating journey. Um, and, uh, and, and I learned to love and grow through that and, and to speak confidence into their lives. Uh, but, but, you know, you love your kids. That's, those are your parents. We have a great love for our children. Or may, maybe if not a parent, you know someone in your life that you just see growing up and you have a great love for them. That's what Paul's expressing here. So again, we start with that appropriate confidence, right? And we're looking through four things, right? Appropriate confidence, a pathway to growth, fruitful living, all for God's glory. So let's go on. Number one is appropriate confidence. Let's go on to number two, this pathway to growth. That's where we're going to spend most of our time today is in this pathway uh, for growth, right? So, and remember, remember we're talking about my key phrase that I'm kind of putting through here is for uh, when we live loving, growing, and fruitful lives, God gets the glory. Most of what we're going to talk about about loving, um, growing, and fruitful lives comes from this middle section here, right? So again, I told you there's going to be four things here talking about this pathway to growth, this pathway to, pathway to growth. So we'll go through these. Uh, first, let's look at the passage itself, right? He goes on and, and he, he continues to, to, uh, to, to write to the church at Philippi. Here's what he says. And it is my prayer, right? It is my prayer. This is beginning at verse 9. And it is my prayer. It makes sense. You go from gratitude to affection to prayer. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So we get this picture, right? He, he, he lays out some of the truths that are here to the glory and praise of God. Now, when we look at this, we get a picture of this uh, passage that 
get some depth and detail here. I don't want to miss some of the depth and detail that we have here. It's, it goes on from there, and it talks similarly to what we saw in Colossians 1, 9, and 10. I remember Paul writes both of these books, so makes sense. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he'd say similar things. Here's what he says in Colossians. He says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So again, we, we see that even in this passage, uh, Paul is following this pathway to growth. And what we're going to find is he talks about loving, discerning, being judicious, and blameless. And we see those echoed in passages like here, the passage in Colossians and in other places as well. So, so what, what, what are these four things and how should we know them? Well, let's, let's take a deeper dive into the pathway of growth because Paul talks about loving. Here's what he says. He said that your love may abound more and more. I don't want you to miss this because one of the things that has bolstered Calvary Baptist Church for decades upon decades, for over a century, is in good times and in bad times, in hard times and in easy times, in one facility to another facility to no facility to a new facility, a church that loves one another is a church that grows together. You see, discipleship is not a solo sport. It's, not, it's a team sport. It's not tennis. It's not golf. It's more like football. And where we're working together and connecting with one another and a loving church is essential for a growing church. What happens is if there's not a loving church, people don't grow because people are pushed back or repelled by the religious critical spirit that can sometimes take place and take hold and take root in a church. So instead, if we're a loving church, and I love that First Thessalonians 3.12, Paul puts it this way. He says, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Love for one another and for all as we do for you. That's the call that we have. So we saw in the contrast between the Colossians passage and the Philippians passage, right? In Philippians, it says, I'm, my prayer, you abound in knowledge, discernment, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Very similar wording to the Colossians passage. But what's key is here Paul goes and drills in on the idea of love, a loving church. Now, I want you to know, um, here's the challenge. Maybe you've been hurt in church. In fact, I, I could do probably, even in our discussion after the service today, I bet I could ask people to raise their hands and say, how many have been hurt in church? And most of us have been hurt in church. Uh, the, over, the way to overcome church hurt is actually church, is a loving church, a church. But here's the challenge. You say, Ed, well, what if we disagree on things? Or what if, what if there's conflict? Well, first, we're going to disagree on things, and there's going to be conflict. That's how world and life works. So what does that mean for us? That means for us that we've got to overcome in love those things. I love 1 John three fourteen. We know that we have passed out of death into life. That's the new life in Christ. We've been born again because we love the brothers, right? We'd say today, brothers and sisters. Whoever does not love abides in death. So literally, part of being a Christian, is, is and it's a first step here even in this passage, is growing in love. So easily lost in our day of division, right? And a loving church is a church that overlooks some things, carries one another's burdens, cares for one another in the midst of hard times, right? You say, this is hard today. Of course it is. I mean, look at social media. Look at, look at cable news, right? And then too many Christians are being discipled by their cable news choices and spiritually shaped by their social media feed. And the end result is they become unloving among the people of God. Yet here, it's so central. In fact, too many people know the Bible, 
Their, their head's filled with Bible, but it's not filled with love. And boy, we could go a lot of passages that sort of address this. First John 3.18, little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. Maturity is marked by loving other people. If you're not loving, you're not mature. You say, well, sometimes we got to stand up for things. Of course we do. In a loving, God gracious, God-filled matter. I don't care as much. That you know every detail of biblical prophecy or you know who the Jebusites are, but I care deeply that you love one another. Calvary Baptist Church is going to make it through this pandemic. It's going to make it through the challenges of New York City and the tri-state area. It's going to make it through being buildingless for a season because we love one another. So let's ramp up our love in this season. It's necessary, it's needed, and it's biblical. See, we know we're Christians and we love our brothers, and that includes even the hard ones to love. Every church has some hard ones to love, right? Now, I know someone just came to your mind. If someone didn't come to your mind, it could be you. But all of us, even hard people to love, easy people to love, love is a central call in the life of the Christian, right? So we're going down this, this pathway, right? These pathways of growth, loving, discerning, judicious and blameless. So let's go and let's talk about discerning, right? Here it actually says that, right? Because uh, remember, when we, live, when we live loving, growing, and fruitful lives, God gets the glory. So we're growing in discernment. And here it says, with knowledge and discernment. So a church needs to grow, and the people in church need to grow in more knowledge and discernment. Knowledge is not a bad thing. It's a good thing as long as it's lovingly applied. Discernment is so essential in the world we live today. Some things just don't matter that much. But I've been in places where people lost their loving spirit in the midst of arguing about things that didn't matter so much. I remember an argument once in a church that they argued about the wattage of light bulb, the light bulbs in the restroom. It was actually pretty casual or innocent. Somebody said, I really can't see in the bathroom. bathroom. Can, can we, it was in a business meeting, can we get some more lights in there? And someone said, well, I kind of picked the lights that make the right wattage go. It's a light. And finally, they realized they needed a motion. So someone said, I'd like to make a motion that we get higher wattage light bulbs in the restroom. And at that point, I realized that I did not want to be in this business meeting. Now, here's the thing. Um, we have to remind ourselves that some things just don't matter. If you're going to be married, you know, I've been married now for over 30 years. We got married when we were 20 years of age. And um, that high school sweetheart, uh, we married. And I got to tell you, one of the ways that we have to discern in a relationship is that not everything is that important. Well, they're important things. Don't misunderstand. But part of it is knowing and having the discernment where to take a stand and where not to, and to be loving in the midst of all of that. It's interesting. Um, J.I. Packer just uh, died. And his book, Knowing God, is one of the most influential books for Christians. Uh, there was actually a list, and that was on the list of the 50 most influential book of Christians. Maybe it was 100. He wrote in that book, he wrote this. He said, what were we made for? To know God. What were we made for? To know God. What aim should we set ourselves in life? The knowledge of God. In what is the best thing in life? Bringing more joy, delight, contentment than anything else. What is it? The knowledge of God. When you know God and you know that God is love, now that doesn't mean love is God, but when you know that God is love and it shapes you as a loving person who has knowledge and discernment, that's a powerful Christian combination. Which leads us to the next passage. Uh, next section is judicious, a word we use a little less. But we're making choices so that you may approve what is excellent, right? So just see, it says, so it says you may approve what is excellent and then be pure and blameless. We're going to look at that in just a minute. But you approve what is 
excellent, right? Now, this is really key, right? There are things that matter, things that don't matter. But approve here, it's in the original language, would be to be um, trials by fire, right? In a sense, it means to affirm and choose the best choices. Uh, it's actually used to check the value of gold and currency, just uh, approve it to make sure it's legitimately that kind of gold and more. And why do we do these things? If you love but aren't judicious, you kind of end up being foolish. Let me, let me explain, you don't miss this. If you love but aren't judicious, you kind of end up being foolish. You haven't made the right choices. So judiciousness, right? If you're judicious but you don't love, you end up being a Pharisee. You're making choices but not in love. Right, and that in that broad sense, what we might see in the New Testament. So in First Corinthians ten twenty three, I like this passage. It says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful or judicious, we might say. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. There's quotes around all things are lawful. Think of them as air quotes. Paul's quoting something that the church at Corinth would say. Say, so, yeah, okay, all things are lawful. That's what they would say. So, but not all of them are helpful. Some of them are just not judicious. There are things that really matter and things that aren't that important. So you can't be a loving church when arguing about everything, right? On, on the other hand, you can't just say, I don't believe, and, you know, it doesn't matter what we believe. It matters deeply what we believe. It matters deeply what we do. Right now at Calvary Baptist Church, the choices you're making matter deeply, and you're making them with a judicious intent. Elders, deacons, right? We talked about that very much in the beginning. Uh, the church as a whole stepping forward today. So part of this, right, the impacts who we are, and judiciousness is an area in which we want to grow. Remember, all this is part of the pathway to growth. Uh, when, I was, when I was younger, I remember I'd die on every hill. I was 25 and, you know, we were planting a church in the inner city of Buffalo, New York, among the urban poor. Um, and, and it was great. And, you know, just seeing God work in powerful ways and serving him. And I loved it. But I got to tell you, man, I, I would just, no, no, we got to, we got to, we got to, this has got to be central to what we do. And everything couldn't be central and everything wasn't a hill to die on, right? Um, instead, the focus on Jesus is so key. A few years ago, I preached at a church called Westminster Chapel in London. And there's a sign right there on the uh, pulpit. It's this fascinating looking pulpit. And it says, sirs, we would see Jesus. That's judicious. Focus on Jesus. Don't miss that, right? Focus on Jesus, glorifying him. Compare that to social media. Is that really focused on Jesus? Is yours really focused on Jesus? That's where judiciousness comes in. And then number four on our kind of sub list is blameless, blameless, and to be pure and blameless to the day of Christ. And in most literally, it means to, uh, you know, hold up to the sun for inspection, right? An x-ray reveals the bone, imperfections and fractures that can't otherwise be seen. So blameless, uh, remember Daniel, the only charge they could bring against him was he loved God too much. Um, it doesn't mean perfect. It means that there's a sense of growing holiness in my life. Focusing on the right things cause us to live differently. Okay, so we're, we're kind of walking through the passage. We're getting the picture of what we're talking about here. Let me go back just to remind you of the full outline, right? So we talked about appropriate confidence. Paul's sure of these things from verse six and following. We talked about a pathway to growth, which, which addresses some of the issues that we walk through here, a loving, growing, to have loving, growing, and fruitful lives, right? And then number three, back to our main outline, is and a reminder that when we live growing, uh, when we live loving, growing, and fruitful lives, God gets the glory. That's our goal here. So fruitful living is obviously going to be part of when we live loving, growing, and fruitful lives, God gets the glory. So fruitful living is going to be key. So the passage goes on to say that this is back to Philippians chapter one, filled, this is verse 11, filled 
with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Okay, that's beautiful, and that's awesome. Um, Maybe we don't think of fruitfulness as much in the city. Um, I I don't remember when I came home to that apartment in Floral Park, uh, any fruit. I do remember when we moved to Levittown, there was an apple tree. It was the the sorriest apple tree that you ever saw. It was kind of a Charlie Brown Christmas tree kind of apple tree. And, um, but it occasionally would squeeze out a, an apple that wasn't so great. Um, but, you know, so I wasn't as familiar with fruit. But, you know, fruit does grow uh, in the city. You can actually go to, there's actually a web page that talks about and gives examples of fruit in the city, right? This is, there's, there's in Manhattan and, and you can actually go, um, you can actually go and it'll, if you look, it's, that's the, the, on the webpage is the close up by Manhattan, but of course people from Calvary Church go from all over, but you can actually see, you know, other places in Brooklyn and other places. There's, there's places that are fascinating. People love to see fruit. They do. People love to see fruit and I love to see fruit and we want people to see fruit in our lives. We don't want people to think of Calvary Baptist Church as a building under renovation and one day a building to be reopened. We want people to think of Calvary Baptist Church as a church full of loving people who are fruitful in how they live and show and love the Jesus, show Jesus love. Because when we live loving, growing, and fruitful lives, God gets the glory. So that's what we're looking for, is for God to get his ultimate due glory, right? Now, this is where how God is glorified, right? By this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So Paul in the book of Philippians is pointing us to this kind of loving fruit bearing life, right? So it's loving fruit bearing life. That's been the key throughout it. We live loving growing. That's the pathways of growth. We did four. We live loving growing and fruitful lives, fruit bearing lives. Then God gets his due glory. Now, we're in a season right now as people, just people, right? He began a good work in us. Um, that's Philippians 1.6. He began a good work in us. It's not a, not a new leaf. Turn over a new leaf. It's a new life. It's, he's being faithful. So right now, it's in the middle. He's being faithful with us personally. But I promise you, God's being faithful with Calvary Baptist Church in the middle. And he's going to bring it to completion one day. And it's the middle point that we're talking about now And because we're in that middle point, it's in that middle point that we get the idea of loving, growing, and fruitful lives so that God gets the glory. Let me remind you again, key words. When we live loving, that was our first thing, growing, four pathways we've talked to growth, and fruitful, showing the fruit of the Christian life, God gets the glory, which is the fourth and final point from from the passage. It says simply right at the end in verse 11, it says this, it says, to the glory and praise of God. It's a common phrase in the Bible because it's really important. Not something we want to casually kind of blow through. But again, we want ultimately God to get the glory. So you as a follower of Jesus, when you live this way, a loving Christian life, a growing Christian life, and a fruitful Christian life, it's going to have lots of impact. It's going to have an impact on the kind of church that we are at Calvary Baptist Church. It's going to have an impact on the way we engage our communities individually and as Calvary Baptist Church. And when people hear about you at a part of a church, a part of a church community, and they say, oh, yeah, I know her. She's loving and growing and fruitful. Those are real descriptors that birth right out of the text. And when that's the kind of descriptors that Christians have for who they are and, and, and their growth and more, then it changes our reputation, which I will tell you is not the worst thing right now we could use 
a greater sense of reputation that we are loving, growing, and fruitful so God might get his due glory. And it says this, to the glory and praise of God, to the glory and praise of God. Uh, Bach, the uh, Johann Sebastian Bach, once said this. He said, all music should have no other end and aim than the glory of God and the soul's refreshment. And he ended his um, works with three letters, S-D-G. And my daughter, who's a musician, she, she puts that on her social media, S-D-G. And it means solide gratia. It means uh, it speaks about all to God's glory. Um, God to be glorified in all things. And that's such an important place for us. So if we want God to receive his due glory in our lives, and I think if you're a follower of Jesus, you do. If you're not a follower of Jesus, again, I want to invite you to reach out to us. If you have more questions, there's a phone number available. You can see it uh, on, the, on the webpage. You can reach out to us and through social media. We want to share with you the good news of the gospel of life. If you are a follower of Jesus, part of what that is, is you, you I hope you want to glorify God. And if you want to glorify God, actually there's a pathway in Philippians 1, verses 7 through 11. And that pathway is we live loving. Let's look at it one more time, right? We, we live loving, growing, and fruitful lives. God gets the glory. As we close our time for the message, we've had time of worship. I want us to have just a bit of a time of reflection because I don't know about you, but every time I hear this passage, I've got more areas to grow. So I'm not asking you if you need to apply this passage, because you're a follower of Jesus, you need to apply this passage. What I want to ask you is, is how might you today and tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday apply this passage more deeply? Because right now, it's a motley team, just as the early church was at Philippi, Calvary Baptist Church is today, every church around the world is. But God gets his due glory when we live loving, growing, and fruitful lives. And those three things marked out in this text are the very pathway that brings us joy, key theme of Philippians, in gospel partnership together because we're a loving, caring church and ultimately gives God his due glory. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you today as followers of Jesus, and we ask that you might guide us and direct us of how we might lead loving, growing, and fruitful lives, so you might get the full glory in our lives and in our church. Just with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I know that may seem strange in the technology-mediated environment we live in, but, but the Lord hears. Just where you are, would you say to the Lord in this time, Lord, how do I need to grow? How do I need to live? What do I need to, to walk more deeply in? Help him to maybe convict you now about being more loving, intentionally growing, and living a fruitful life. Just ask the Lord, Lord, what next? How, how for me do I apply this message? So God gets his due glory. For it's in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Tell It From Calvary. For more information, to connect, make a prayer request, or make a contribution, go to our website at www.cbcnyc.org or call us at 212-975-0170. We hope you'll join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.